And we have a liftoff. It is the midday program on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to it and all of the information that comes along with it every day, whether it's news or weather, sports. We have ag information galore, and we're going to move right straight over to uh, Susan Littlefield, who uh, had uh, kind of a brush with greatness today. Tell us about it, Susan. I did. You know, everybody's got the Team USA Olympic buzz. Well, if you didn't know, you will know now. The sweaters, the hats, and the gloves being worn by our Olympians in the opening and closing ceremonies are made with 100% American wool. And you got an opportunity and to see them, right? I did, and that's, that's the cool thing, is they have got displays of the shirts right here at the ASI convention in San Antonio and spoke to the woman who was supplying the wool for them, and they're, they're absolutely gorgeous. They are prettier than what they were on television, so... We're going to be catching up with her later to do an interview, but to know that I got to see the sweaters that the Olympians are wearing. Well, how cool is that? And uh, who knew that you had to go down to the balmy atmosphere of San Antonio, Texas, to be able to find that winter wear? Exactly. Not to tell you that it's supposed to be 75 here, and I'm not dressed for 75-degree weather by any chance. (laughs) All right. Susan, what do you have for us today along with your team on Midday? Other things coming up, Staley Peters is going to have Steve Nelson on LB947 hearing, and the WOTUS announcement taking place is going to be the discussion of the Colorado House District 64 representative, Kimmy Lewis, talking about a large turnout for both and against the Coors, that's the country of origin recognition system in Colorado. That's going to be at 1245. And then I ran into a certain undersecretary of agriculture from the state of Nebraska. Greg Eyeball was here yesterday. He and I sat down and we talked about some things coming out of Washington, D.C. So that's what's on the midday for us from the farm team. Did you uh, get a uh, like a halftime report there? I did. We had, we had a nice conversation. He kind of thought it was uh, funny. We had federal agents in the building and I told him, I said, wow, you have some serious security detail. Five federal agents just to protect Greg Ibaugh. <laughs> but they weren't, they weren't here for him. They were here for another conference. <laughs> All right, Susan, thanks very much. We'll let you go. Sports with Jason Jorgensen. Husker women, of course, they've been on a roll for most of the year, especially in Big Ten action. They have been one of the more improved teams, not only in the league, but also in the country. They're back at it tonight, as they'll be heavy favorites at home against struggling Illinois. We'll get the thoughts of Head Coach Williams on, you know, what's, what's kind of led to this turnaround? How's it all going? This time a year ago, things were bleak. Yeah. Uh, not so much this year. They are well on their way to doing potentially something special. Also, the Creighton men's basketball team, they get their shot at the number one team in the country tonight. Jays on the road taking on Villanova in Philadelphia. That one will start 530 Central. Creighton has a way of coming around. On well, like we that. do. They have, and uh, we'll see what takes place today against Villanova. Very good. Bob Brogan has business. Stocks are up right now. Uh, construction spending hits a record high productivity falls and uh, also uh, Midwest business conditions index slipped in January we'll have those stories and more coming up all of this and more coming up on today's midday program Ag weather up next with Paul Perkins as we bring it to you brought to you by 
Holdridge Irrigation, your Reiki dealer. They have eliminated much of the snow chance there today. Yeah, pretty much uh, just in northwest Kansas, we're seeing a little bit of light snow. St. Francis in the northwest corner of Kansas down to Goodland Route. Right now on over to Joaquini, mainly in western Kansas along I-70. Right, pretty cold today, a little bump tomorrow, back cold for the weekend. Yeah, up and down on the temperatures over the next few days, we did see some nice snowfall totals, upwards of close to 5 inches right along the nebraska Wyoming border towards uh, Pine Bluffs in the southwest corner of the Nebraska Panhandle. Also some four to six inch totals farther into north central Colorado, but most of the accumulations were just a light dusting at best. We will see that cold air continue today thanks to Canadian high pressure pushing in behind that Arctic front that moved through overnight. That's going to give us those colder conditions for today. Some clearing with that area of high pressure moving in, but better chances of seeing sunshine the farther east you go. Tonight, that front that moved through as an Arctic front will move back to the north as a warm front. That will return the temperatures to seasonal levels tomorrow. The up and down temperatures continuing as we head towards the weekend and early next week as that front just basically goes north and south. The fishtails over our area goes back and forth as a cold front and warm front, and that will keep the up and down temperatures going. Our next Arctic blast on Saturday night and Sunday. Several chances for some light precipitation on the cold side of the front as disturbances drop southeast. Looks like our best chance of seeing at least some snow, one to three inches of the fluffy stuff on Sunday. In the long term, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas are forecast to be seasonal to slightly cooler than normal. Tuesday through Valentine's Day, our precipitation outlook in Nebraska and Kansas expects mainly below normal precipitation Tuesday through the 14th. In the latest drought monitor, 43% of Nebraska right now drought-free. Those drought-free areas are in the north central and the northeast right along and south of the Platte River. It's abnormally dry. There are small pockets of moderate drought in the southwest corner of Nebraska and the southwest panhandle. Now, all of Kansas experiencing some form of dryness. 60% of Kansas in some stage of drought. That's 10 percentage points higher than last week. The north central and northeast right now abnormally dry, but moderate drought covers most of the west right along I-70 and the southeast. Southwest and south central Kansas continue, <clears throat> continue to be in severe and extreme drought. Weather factors driving the market decisions included dry seven-day forecast for central Argentina and heavy rain delaying the Brazil harvest. Here in the U.S., a pair of fast-moving cold fronts will bring a return of very cold weather to the northern plains, Midwest, and Northeast. The cold not going to be as harsh as the cold that we had early last month. Rain and snow will accompany the cold fronts across the south, east, and lower Midwest. Across the Southern Plains wheat areas, extreme drought spreading through western Oklahoma and the Texas Panhandle at no significant precipitation right now in sight. In Amarillo, Texas, today marks the 111th consecutive day without any measurable precipitation. Very dry there. Central Argentina will remain dry with very warm to hot weather through the next seven days. It now looks likely corn and soybean yield potential will decline until rain chances increase or temperatures decrease. In central Brazil, they will receive heavy rain the next five to seven days. It's going to help out the filling soybeans, but not help the maturing soybeans in early harvest. Southern Brazil is drier, but soil moisture levels remain favorable for the time being. Wow, Amarillo, that's yeah. dry. Yeah, 111 days yield. That's Yikes. practically four months without any measurable precipitation. Can man, you imagine that? Man. Unbelievable. And it is uh, the 880 uh, Weather Watch presented by Holdridge Irrigation. They are your ranking 
Yankee dealer bringing us the ag weather today with Paul. I guess the one nice thing I see about this whole upcoming weekend forecast is that this snow that we get likely to be just a brush-off type yeah, of snow. Yeah, fluffy snow because it's going to be so cold when it does fall. It, it's going to not going to be as significant as that one we saw just about a, a week or a little more than a week ago because that was pretty heavy yeah. and quite a bit of moisture. And you could tell it with uh, yeah. north central, northeast Nebraska being removed from any abnormal dryness. So don't schedule the family snowball fight or the no. snowman building. It probably won't be taking place. It for won't you. be much of one. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. The demand for protein is making one company expand its ground beef-making capabilities. Chicken distributors are suing chicken processing companies. In Washington, D.C., EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt is deciding on E15, and Bruce Gorder looks at how E15 is working on the NASCAR track. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Cargill Protein is investing $4.2 million at its Columbia, South Carolina plant to expand grinding capabilities for beef customers across the eastern and midwest. The investment includes this investment shows our commitment to the beef industry in the eastern U.S. and allows us to deliver on the increasing needs of beef customers in the region. While beef production increases, chicken is taking fire. The two largest food distribution companies in the U.S. have launched lawsuits against the chicken industry, accusing Tyson Foods, Pilgrim's Pride, and Sanderson Farms and other poultry suppliers of manipulating wholesale chicken prices. Cisco Corporation and U.S. Foods Holding Corporation, which supplies food to U.S. restaurants, hotels, and hospitals, alleged in separate lawsuits the big chicken processors engaged in a years-long conspiracy to limit poultry supplies while pushing prices higher by manipulating a pricing benchmark. A Tyson spokesman called the claims unfounded and said the company would contest the lawsuits. Representative for Pilgrims and Sanderson had no immediate comment, and spokeswomen for the Cisco and U.S. Foods declined to comment on the lawsuit. The 131-page lawsuit filed late Tuesday in a federal court in Illinois are the latest in a string of lawsuits and probes involving the companies that control the U.S. chicken industry, which produces about 41 billion pounds of meat annually for grocery stores, restaurants, and foreign-based buyers. In Washington, D.C., Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt told a Senate panel his agency is closing to make decisions on a key agriculture issue. Pruitt told the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee EPA will decide soon whether to expand its waiver authority for year-round use of E15% ethanol blends of gasoline. The summertime evaporation requirements now limit so-called reed vapor pressure, or RVP, and is the biggest issue within the E15 debate. While Washington, D.C. decides on how to handle E15, NASCAR has adopted it. Bruce Gorder has more. The EPA has declared E15 safe for all road vehicles, model year 2001 and newer. Also, the number one racing circuit in the world uses E15. This is Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, talking about E15 and NASCAR. And I've spent a lot of time talking to the drivers and the people who are building the engines for the drivers. They love this fuel. It's cleaner. It's got high octane, so it's great for their engine. And it's a wonderful testament. I mean, E15 should be fueling Sunday drives everywhere, not just on the racetrack. But the fact that it's used by the elites, by the, the auto enthusiasts, that that should be very comforting to consumers like me. If it's good enough for them, it's absolutely good enough for me. And NASCAR uses E15 in all of their racing series. That's Emily Score. She is the CEO of Growth Energy. And I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Thank you, Bruce. Distilled grain started NASCAR, and now it's fueling it. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaley Peters, and my guest today here, Steve Nelson, president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau. And Steve, you had the opportunity yesterday to speak at a hearing for the governor's Property Tax Cuts and Opportunities Act, LB 947. Talk to us about your testimony there. Well, that's right. Yesterday was the hearing on LB 947. It's introduced by Senator Smith uh, on behalf of the governor. He's able to provide testimony not only for Nebraska Farm Bureau, but for uh, the Nebraska Corn Growers, Nebraska Pork Producers, the Soybean Association, and the Nebraska State Dairy Association, and, uh, and and we did go in in support of the governor's bill. It has, uh, with many bills at this stage, they're not perfect, and they're certainly a work in progress, and that, that would be the case here. Uh, with the provisions that are provided uh, in the bill that, that were offered by Governor Ricketts yesterday, uh, it does meet the criteria that, that we've set out as far as having meaningful and significant property tax relief over a period of time. And Steve, property tax, of course, is something that's been talked about a lot over Governor Ricketts' entire campaign and into his time now as governor. Do you feel confident in the direction this bill is going and that something is actually going to be done? Well, I do feel uh, confident that we can get something done this year. I, I think that I sense the, the mood among the legislature and, uh, and those around the legislature uh, there is, there's certainly, uh, certainly a, a lot of talk and a lot of serious conversation as it relates to, to finding solutions to the, the, the tax problem that you well described that has existed. And I, I emphasized this, this yesterday in my testimony that, that, that we believe that it's important that we get something done now, get, begin to make progress now. And so, so that will uh, continue to be be our conversations. That does not mean that we've completely solved the problem. It does not mean that we won't continue to work on the issue. So it, uh, we, it's one of the ideas that we certainly need to keep on the table. All right, and then completely switching gears here, Steve. Yesterday, a big announcement coming down by the EPA and Army Corps of Engineers regarding WOTUS. Well, yes, and, and that uh, a very important issue, uh, of course, that we've talked about a lot. And, you know, we've talked about uh, the repeal of WOTUS and the, and the President of the United States has has been very committed to that, uh, you know, both, both during the campaign and, and very early on in his administration. The, the process doesn't just allow for the President to say, well, this is this is gone. We're not not dealing with this anymore. So so what happened yesterday with the announcement that EPA uh, must go through the process of, of developing a new rule uh, is a very important step in the right direction. This certainly gives us an opportunity to to make sure that that uh, the regulations that EPA uh, provide uh, on this issue are are reflective of, of what the in- intent of the original legislation was, and that they they consider uh, input as they are required to do from all of the stakeholders, which includes farmers and ranchers as well as everyone that really has has contact with the surface of the land and so so uh, it, it's important to make uh, you know to completely understand that this is a great step and certainly part of the process as we as we uh, completely repeal what what uh, EPA had tried to do with the waters of the US rule Nebraska Farm Bureau President Steve Nelson for more on this visit ruralradio.com I'm Shaley Peters and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network 
Midday on the Rural Radio Network and Sports Now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the Nebraska women's basketball team is back in action tonight as they take on Illinois at home. Now, the Huskers come into this one on a four-game winning streak. They've also won seven out of their last eight. Head coach Amy Williams says paying attention to the little things has really helped. You know, our focus is just play it game by game. Play it possession by possession. Find a way to um, just lock in on what needs to be done on this particular possession. And that's kind of the approach we've taken to this entire season. And that's the approach we want to continue to take in games. Williams made her comments on the Husker Sports Network. Tonight's game starts at 7 in Lincoln. It'll be a rematch of last year's Big East Tournament title game when Creighton, who's 17-5, visits the nation's top-ranked team at Villanova. Now, this game marks Creighton's first contest at the Wells Fargo Center since a 96-68 triumph over fourth-ranked Villanova back on January 20th of 2014. Now, Creighton comes into this one off of consecutive wins over St. John's and Georgetown. Game time is set for 5.30 in Philadelphia. There was a huge upset in state college basketball action last night as Midland jumped up and surprised top-ranked and previously undefeated Concordia 86-77. Lady Bulldogs are now 24-1 on the season. And here's kind of a head-scratcher. A 20-year-old man has told authorities that he drove onto and damaged the Iowa baseball field made famous by the 1989 movie Field of Dreams. Court records say that Austin Pape of Dyersville is charged with felony criminal mischief in Dubuque County. Pape will plead not guilty, but will work with prosecutors on a resolution to this case. Attorneys say Pape hasn't expressed any particular grudge against the field. It sets two miles to the outside of Dyersville, which is located about 140 miles to the northeast of Des Moines. Now, the records say the deep gashes in the field and sprinkler damage could rack up to around $14,000. This crime was perpetrated last month. Now, thousands still visit the eastern Iowa field, running around the bases and walking in the surrounding cornfields. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Mostly cloudy this afternoon with a high near 26. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low of around 15. And then for Friday, partly sunny with a high near 41. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Influenza has reached epidemic proportions in Nebraska and much of the United States. Dr. Francisca Acosta-Carlson of Lexington Regional Health Center says that things started as early as August for this strain. Our cases are much higher than they have been in the past sooner. And uh, I think we all need to be very careful. Uh, I've been very um, pointed at telling uh, patients, wash your hands, stay away from people who are sick. Every state in the U.S. has seen cases of flu with the exception of Hawaii. Canada, Mexico, and the United States met in Montreal last week to talk about trade and the North American Free Trade Agreement. Donald Trump has called NAFTA one of the worst deals ever. Not surprisingly, Canada and Mexico have been nervous about where the U.S. stands on the agreement. Nebraska Congressman Adrian Smith went along with other officials to the meeting. He said that the anxiety of his Canadian and Mexican counterparts has receded. I would sense that they've come down a little bit. Uh, you know, every round of negotiations, I think, shows good faith at uh, getting this done. And, and so I would say there, there's reduced anxiety. Uh, that's anecdotally with my own observations. But uh, I'm encouraged in, with the bigger picture. But we, we still have a ways to go 
uh, to get it across the finish line. Smith said that he made sure that the administration knows how important NAFTA is to Nebraska producers. Republican lawmakers who were on an Amtrak train which was struck by a dump truck killing one of the passengers in the truck are beginning to tell stories of what they remember. The train crash happened in Virginia as the lawmakers, their families and staffers were on their way to an annual GOP retreat in West Virginia. Nebraska Congressman Jeff Fortenberry described the initial shock when the accident occurred. Boom, jarring type of both sound and feeling. Uh, Strange, almost like an explosion, but then the train kept going normally. The GOP retreat is moving ahead as planned, with lawmakers planning to honor the victim of the crash. President Trump will speak to lawmakers later today. Kansas is reporting that it collected $165 million more in taxes than expected in January. Revenue Secretary Sam Williams said Thursday the federal tax changes enacted late last year encouraged people to pay their local tax bills before 2017 ended. The Department of Revenue reported that Kansas took in over $747 million in taxes last month when it expected $582 million. The monthly surplus is more than 28%. Our apps put regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away anytime. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Coors, the country of origin recognition system, a bill introduced into a House committee this week in Colorado. We brought you early coverage of when the bill was first being conceived and talked about. Now we go after it's been in committee. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Joining us to talk about her bill is Representative of House District 64, Kimmy Lewis. Representative Lewis, if you could recap for us briefly what the Coors bill was about. Good afternoon, Clay. Yes, uh country of origin recognition system was just a simple bill that would uh, ask retail stores, which are grocery stores, not restaurants, to put up a simple placard up in their meat case uh, that they would come up with themselves that would cost just about 10 cents a piece to, uh, to say uh, where the beef comes from. And it's a beef bill. Uh, the reason why it's beef only is because beef and pork, as you know, uh, got peeled off of country of origin labeling a few years ago, and uh, the pork producers didn't want to join with us. So the bill was just about beef, and as a beef producer myself, I was proud to present the bill. Representative Lewis, yesterday in the chambers, there was a lot of folks that turned out to testify for this bill, to see the testimony on the bill. Talk to us about how many people there were there and just how the testimony went. Well, we had a really good turnout. Uh, you know, whenever you bring a bill before the state house, you're creating a con- conversation. And uh, depending on what kind of a conversation it is, depends on how many people show up. So it was actually a great day in Colorado because a lot of people showed up, and that's that's what we want. We want people to have an interest in care. And it was kind of interesting. The opposition this year had taken notes from us last year, and so. A lot of uh, their people showed up. It was a great day because it was it put the ag committee to task. Uh, of course, um, uh, there's 13 on that that committee here in Colorado, uh, seven Democrats and six Republicans because I'm in the minority. But um, anyway, it was a great day and a long committee. There was about 30 or 40 out in the country on remote testimony, and then I believe there was 40 or 50 that did the testimony there at the Capitol with uh, three minutes apiece. 
And from the political standpoint of the members on the committee, were they inquisitive to the testimony? Did they ask questions? Uh, and did they see any turn from what they went into the session with from what they came out with? Well, actually, the vote wasn't, wasn't to our liking. Uh, my bill went down 10 to 3 in opposition, uh, which I was a little surprised of. Uh, but there was just a lot of um, confusion, and I think that was probably part of the, the idea of the different scripted uh, reports from the opposition. Uh, they really didn't have a lot of facts. They just had a lot of fear-mongering about what could happen. It could end up in a lawsuit. Uh, all, all kinds of things that could happen. So anyway, I, I found it as a simple bill. It was a three-page bill. We offered a couple amendments at the end to try to even help out a little more. We were, we were willing to just put the word imported on one placard and not have to state each country. You know, we trade with over 20 countries. And as you know, last year with JBS, we were importing a lot of really nasty beef from Brazil. It's a concern. I, I believe that we're turning our our beef produce our beef eaters in away from beef because of the fact that they're not really getting USA beef and they're not really sure that you see that little stamp on there that says product of USA. I just talked to a young man, a millennial that was walking up here in my apartment and uh, yeah, he understood that product of USA uh, was didn't mean USA, but most people don't. They think that that means USA beef and it doesn't at all. So it's just um, kind of a scam that's going on here. USDA is allowing it. The packers are making big money at it. And, and I feel badly for the producers because the prices are down. Clay, I sold uh, open cows in December. I'm proud of the fact that I always keep my opens about 3 3 to 4% of my herd. I run 325 mama cows. And by golly, uh, 400 to $600 a head. It, you can't make a living with prices that low. You tried a similar bill last year, again unsuccessful. What is your plans for uh, this type of legislation in the future? Well, you know, I had to be back at work this morning, and, and I have other bills coming up uh, soon that I have to work on. In fact, I've got a deadline on a bill for tomorrow. I just keep listening to that word voluntary yesterday, and and it reminds me that the fact that the Packers, National Catalyst Beef Association, you know, they get the big beef checkoff dollars, we are have a mandatory tax. I got a kick out of that. One of one of the opponents of the bill called my beef placard bill a mandatory tax and it cracked me up because a real mandatory tax is the beef checkoff. We can't even find out where the money goes and we know who it goes to and their partners and they, they all showed up yesterday. So I'm kind of going back to that word voluntary. I, I believe that the beef checkoff should be voluntary. You want to talk voluntary, let's talk checkoff. That's Representative Kimmy Lewis of House District 64 talking to us about her Coors or Country of Origin Recognition System bill that was defeated in House Committee yesterday in Colorado. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Well, big day in cattle and hog futures today, but particularly the cattle. Let's visit with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, it was a big day in the cattle market. We had a uh, limit up in uh, two different contracts. One is the April cattle, one is the March feeders. But uh, a couple of digit gains right straight across uh, in the uh, cattle complex. A couple of things I think really influenced it. Number one, the uh, 
cattle inventory report came out neutral. <clears throat> there were some expectations that it might be uh, a little on the negative side, and uh, that didn't come true. The uh, fact that we are trading cattle basically steady with last week, uh, and we had an early trade this week so far, uh, that, uh, that just spurred on the idea that, hey, we're still... Uh, in need of cat, the packers are still in need of cattle, and uh, that uh, they'll be paying higher money. So let's get the uh, markets back up to uh, near uh, those cash prices, and uh, that resulted in uh, the April can- contract uh, moving limit up, uh, <clears throat> which brings it more into line with uh, the cash trade. Uh, so very, uh, very positive day uh, as a result. The uh, cutouts at noon were eh, mixed a little bit lower, so uh, it really didn't have an effect on the market at all. Uh, nominal, and uh, so uh, very strong close as we head into the end of the week. Over the hogs, cash very firm uh, once again as it was yesterday. Cutouts were off uh, sharply at noon, but that didn't affect the hogs, and they finished uh, higher also. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. This is the Rural Radio Network. Finding out what the producer needs. That was one of the goals of one of the undersecretaries. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Greg Ibaugh, who is the undersecretary for the USDA's marketing and regulatory programs, came to the American Sheep Industry Association's annual convention to sit down and have an open dialogue with those on the executive board of the industry. So I'm pretty excited to be here with the sheep industry as well. I think a big part of my job is uh, right now is to getting getting out and meeting the different industry leaders in the areas, uh, the commodities and the livestock industry that uh, are impacted by what happens at MRP, plant and animal health, and uh, checkoff programs. And so to be able to open up a dialogue, get to know each other, and open that door to be able to hear their issues down the road and uh, work together to try to uh, move their industries forward. And you already got a thank you right away from President Mike Corn when it came to market accessibility. Yes, that's one of the decisions that uh, we made in MRP with the Secretary uh, right after uh, we thought that the shutdown might be imminent is that uh, price reporting is important to how uh, many livestock groups uh, determine their price. It's formulated based on the work that uh, we do at uh, MRP to uh, record those average prices around the country. And so uh, in the last shutdown, uh, they discontinued price reporting and we knew how important it was to producers and the secretary worked uh, to be able to make sure that we were able to maintain that or we're going to maintain that through the shutdown. Especially in an industry like the sheep industry where there is not a lot of reporting entities for these producers. That's actually a challenge in the sheep industry even though we have livestock market reporting and are trying to help them out. Uh, with the consolidation within their industry and the, especially on the packing side of it and uh, not, too, not, as, not very many packers and many of them controlling a large percentage of the harvest each day. Uh, so we're having to work together to figure out how to make sure that those market reports we do are valuable to the sheep industry. What type of questions, because I know you took some Q&A from those folks in, in the audience and from the board, what were some things that they brought to you that they wanted you to so 
all over the board. So we work together on uh, scrapie eradication program, uh, market reporting, uh, wildlife services. Predators are a big threat to uh, the sheep industry. So coyotes and wolves are something that we work together with them to try to uh, either chase away or if they won't uh, leave the area we'll work together with them to try to to eliminate and eradicate the the wolves or the not necessarily the wolves the coyotes that are attacking uh, those uh, lambs and the sheep and so just a, a wide variety of issues well you know just in your home state last year they they eliminated 1500 coyotes that were causing concerns for livestock so at least producers know that they've got an organization that they can look to within the government to help to take care of those issues. And actually the the sheep industry is one of the leading voices supporting wildlife services and the uh, cooperative work we do together to try to help them protect their livestock from predators. Those comments from Undersecretary Greg Eyeball, who by the way headed out and now is in attendance at the National Cattlemen's Convention. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. In the grains today, we had a day of lower prices, especially for soybeans. Soybeans ended the day about 10 to 10 and 3 quarters lower, while corn was anywhere from a quarter to a half higher. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in, in Grain. Well, John, we're going to start off by saying, hey, these corn and wheat prices came back towards the end of the session. Yeah, very, very solid price action, really. Across the board in the commodity space, starting with cattle and the livestock, I'm sure you've mentioned that before uh, I came on the show here. Um, but, you know, the corn export numbers, I think that's going to be the norm for a while. Uh, we're the cheapest feed grain in the world. Uh, this is the time of the year you tend to see the market move that way. Not a lot of sorghum available left in the country either, so the domestic interior basis might look to rally. All in all, I take good news on the corn. Even in the midst of a very slow, unchanged day, I think uh, there, there's going to be some movement of the upside here in the short term. Turning to wheat, why did spring wheat futures gain on the winter wheat futures? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I, I, I wish I had some sort of solid answer for that. Spring wheat, obviously, being the, the one that's kind of left in the dust here, has a little bit to do with high protein. I know Saudi Arabia was in the market this morning looking for some high-protein wheat. I didn't see the results of that tender, but assuming it was probably pretty good, high protein is going to be in demand here. We see a 17-cent spread now between the March delivery for Kansas City wheat and the March delivery for Chicago wheat. That tells me in the short run here there are major concerns. The way that we saw the cattle inventory report yesterday come out, we have 107% cattle on feed right now relative to a year ago with only one percent higher total numbers that tells me there's concerns out there and it's uh you know it's just starting in my opinion I, I think the you know we could get a forecast that would change this very quickly but from the folks i've worked with some of the old salts that have been farming out in the western part of kansas for their lives they'll tell you that droughts beget droughts and it's very difficult to turn that around the longer they don't get rain Essentially, that encourages less rain in the future. Is there just isn't that humidity to draw in the, the low pressure systems? Thanks, John. John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Yes, dry in the plains. Hard red winter wheat belt. Sixty-eight percent of the hard red winter wheat belt has seen less than fifty percent of normal precipitation over the past three months. 
and 46% of the belt has received less than 25% of normal precipitation. Again, go to danielsagmarketing.com. That was John Payne of Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. It was a far-fetched dream that became a reality on February 1st, 1951. KRVN in Lexington, Nebraska is owned and operated by the Nebraska Rural Radio Association Incorporated by authority of the Federal Communications Commission on the assigned frequency of 1010 kilocycles. KRVN, Lexington, Nebraska. This is Tim Marshall, station manager at KRVN. We've come a long way since that original sign-on. Through the years, we purchased stations in Scotts Bluff, West Point, York, and Cozad. More recently, we've added affiliates in Shadron, Nebraska City, Sydney, Beatrice, Fairbury, and Omaha. We work closely with our TV partners to give more Nebraskans and Kansans ag information. Our latest venture, a news bureau at Innovation Campus in Lincoln, allows us to tell the story of agriculture like never before. Thank you, Kansas and Nebraska, for listening all these years. And we promise to continue to be your trusted voice for news, weather, and ag information in the future.